Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am ready. Let's go. Let's go to Alabama. Ooh. Not just Alabama, but 1930s Alabama. Well, we're I'm glad you said that because my headspace was still Golden Girls. So, <laughs> 1980s Miami. No, yeah. I, I nope, mean, we're going to 1920s Alabama and 1985 Alabama too, right? We're going dual yeah. times. We're straddling. We're doing crazy physics here. A nursing home resident regales a visitor with talks of the close relationship between two women in 1930s Alabama. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? A lot. Erin, <laughs> the particulars. We're doing fried green tomatoes. It was released on December 27, 1991. It had a limited release, and then it had a wide release on January 24th, 1992. Um, the particulars, it's directed by John Avnet. He was also a producer. He produced 1983's Risky Business, and then this was his feature film debut as a director, and he also directed Up Close and Personal, 88 minutes and then he did the tv shows boomtown which was brief but it was on nbc remember emma it I was so boomtown. good it was really i love boomtown and justified which is also a great television show also one of the producers the executive producer norman lear who yes. is famous for producing all in the family the jeffersons uh maud so many great TV shows. He wasn't a part of Golden Girls? Norman Lear? I don't think so, no. Okay. Okay. Um, screenplay is by Carol Sabisky. She wrote 1982's Annie, Sarah Plain and Tall, and Money for Nothing, and also Fanny Flagg. And this is based on her 1987 novel, Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Fanny Flagg is also an actress, comedian, and author. In the 70s, she appeared on the television game show Match Game. She was also in Harper Valley PTA television show, the film Five Easy Pieces. And she's written books such as Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. And her latest book, somewhat of a sequel that was um, released in October 2020, The Wonder Boy of Whistlestop. Really? I did not know this. I believe it. it's the main character is Buddy Jr. Oh. I believe. Huh. Nerd alert. Fanny Flagg's birth name was Patricia Neal. But she had to change it because there's already an actress named Patricia Neal. Quite good one. A very, very good actress with a crazy life story. Um, so she changed her name to Fanny Flagg. The music is by Thomas Newman, who also did Jumping Jack Flash, The Shawshank Redemption, Finding Nemo, The Help, and most recently Denzel Washington's The Little Things, and so many more films. I mean, Thomas Newman. Um, the director of photography is Jeffrey Simpson. He did Shine Under the Tuscan Sun and Life, to name a few. 
The editor, Deborah Neal Fisher. She also did Up Close and Personal, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, The Hangover, and the recent Coming to America, among others. The second one. Mm-hmm. The one that just came out. Starring Kathy Bates as Evelyn Couch. Kathy Bates was in Misery, The Waterboy, Titanic. Um, the, Kathy Bates has been in so many things. Most recently, she was in, well, not most recently, but one of the more recent things she was in to tie it into last week, Clint Eastwood. She was in his film that he directed, Richard Jewell. She was the best yes. part of that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. She also has directed episodes of NYPD Blue, Oz, and Six Feet Under. I did not know. Mary Stuart Masterson as Iggy Threadgood. She was also in Some Kind of Wonderful, Benny, Benny and June, Bad Girls, and Law and Order SVU, just to name a few. She's also been, Everybody in this movie has been in tons of things. Yes. Um, Mary Louise Parker as Ruth Jameson. She was in The Client, Red, Portrait of a Lady, so many other things, and also probably best known as she was in Weeds, the main character. That's, yeah, that took me so long in the movie to realize that she was from Weeds. Yeah. I was like, I know her from something. Yeah. Jessica Tandy as Ninny Threadgood. She was born in 1909. So in, Damn. in this movie. She was younger than, I mean, she was older than Grammy. <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, that is saying something because Grammy was like old. Old. Right. Um, she was 82 in this, yeah. which I think is funny because like my grandmother is what, 98, 98 and looks like, yeah, she looks old 82. <laughs> like yeah. she looked like she was about 125. Yeah, yeah, she did. I wondered if they added some liver spots. Well, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1990. So I don't know if they like added spots to her or you know her body's fighting. They didn't stuff. put any makeup on her. It looked like yeah, true. Yeah. Like like not like in a like she could have used some eyeliner, <laughs> maybe some brow gel and some mascara. Brow gel, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah you're not using brow gel. Yeah. <laughs> No, the question is, what are you using? And it's the lotion you told me about, and that's it. <laughs> My daily essentials. Brow gel, mascara, and a tent on your eyelid. What is the brow? I just find my natural oils of my face. Just yeah. Well, I brow. use one that is, you could get them in colors. Oh. So I use which brown I should brow use. gel because yeah. it darkens your eyebrows a little bit so they look a little bit more without having to like because you know if some people draw like draw them or like it's like this whole thing and brow gel is like really quick it's like mascara for your eyebrows yeah oh but it can go wrong i'm i'm i my blonde hair isn't found primarily in my eyebrows luckily my come on we have to say one of the funniest mom moments in the history of the Bush family, is my mom, blonde, natural blonde. So, you know, sometimes her eyebrows, also blonde. Uh, They're extremely blonde. They go a little MIA sometimes. And 
It's like always right bothered now. her. I don't. I always see them. I think <clears throat> I think my mother is a beautiful woman. Doesn't need to do a thing. Oh my but goodness. she is very self-conscious about this. And one day, did you decide to do it or have somebody do it for you? I went to a place. I sure. researched where to get eyebrow tinting done. And she had it done. And <laughs> I had it done by a woman who was of... Middle Eastern descent. And when I looked, I didn't scream. <laughs> I think tears started in my eyes because they were jet black. <laughs> jet black. And all I could think driving home was, do not get in an accident. <laughs> well, along with my plan for once I got home. And I locked the bathroom doors and I got the hydrogen peroxide and began to apply straight hydrogen peroxide on them because, I mean, they were re freaking ridiculous. It was crazy. And I'm, I'm like, well, I think we learned a lesson now, didn't we? <laughs> so we're going with the no eyebrow look rather than the black coal. Well, then you can get them tattooed on that mm -hmm. or it only for and it's like temporary oh because i thought what if i got them tattooed on and they went too dark well no you get them tattooed on and it lasts for like six months to a year but there's very professional people doing it mm -hmm. oh, i might have to check into that. i've been trying to get my mom to do that for years her eyebrows are also well, Not see, now the gauntlet has been laid yeah. down. So I just, I'm just Next happy time, that when I get off the train, you're not you better have your you better have your brow gel on is all I got to say. I don't, can't be I just, can't be hanging around with anybody who doesn't have their eyebrows. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, I got work to do. I had well, your for, eyebrows are perfect. Why would you mess with them? I well, mean, there's two now. There was for a while only one because I I had to wait for my Target shipment of the batteries to get the the oh yeah thing. You know the eyebrow shaver thing because I I had a um. What's his name? A Anthony Davis type situation going on for a while. Or Frida? Yes. I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race and one of the queens was like doing their makeup and she was like, uh, are they going to be sisters or are they going to be friends today? We'll never know. And one of the other ones said, but they'll be, what did they say? That's they'll great. be neighbors. <laughs> they'll always be neighbors because i have i could have blonde sisters you just until you get really close you don't know it yeah and the, but those are really hard because i do have blondes like around the edge and the, i think like oh i did a fantastic job and then i turn my head in certain lights and it's just a complete forest of like just shrubbery <laughs> and i'm like what is that this blonde <laughs> shrubbery what anyway wow Sorry. how did we get there no where we were talking about yeah. We're, oh, we're talking about <laughs> Jessica Tandy and how she oh. has no makeup on and she looks like a very old 82. Exactly. Um, and she, okay, nerd alert. She was she's British and American. She was born in in Britain. Didn't um, know. She played Blanche Du Bois in the original Broadway production of A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, oh. my God. Mm -hmm. She was also in The Birds. 
the gin game, which we need to look into what Hello. that means about. Um, Driving Miss Daisy and Cocoon. Cicely Tyson, who is Sipsy in this movie, and when this movie was filmed, Cicely Tyson, I don't know how old Sipsy's supposed to be, because you don't know with the ageless Cicely Tyson. In the uh, human chronological years, Cicely Tyson is 66 years old. Unbelievable. Like I could she could have been playing a teenager. She was 66 in this? Yeah. Yes. Like I don't know if that's her character, but that's how old in um, like, you know, human Damn. years. Yeah. Wow. So and she she kept acting for 30 more years. Yeah. I mean, she only just stopped. The only thing that stopped her was the grave. That's she right. just kept going. God um, calling her home. I was like, hey, it's time for you. Enough. She was in Sounder, which we did, Hoodlum to Help, and the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, and so many other things. Yes. Chris O'Donnell as Buddy <laughs> Threadgood. I had completely forgotten that he was in this. He's he not was in, in it for long. He was in Scent of a Woman, School Ties, Batman Forever, The Chamber, and most recently, NCIS Los Angeles. Yes. Um, we have Stan Shaw as Big George. In real life, he's a cousin of Sam Cooke. Oh. Interesting, at least according to Wikipedia, so take that as you will. He was also in Rocky, Harlem Nights, and the Great Santini, to name a few. We have Tim Scott as Smokey Lonesome. He was also uncredited in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, and Footloose. Gary Basaroba as Grady Kilgorn. Uh-huh. That guy, like, he's just always a cop in everything. He was in Boomtown. He was in Mad Men. He was in The Irishman. He just had one of those faces where I'm like, I've seen that guy so many places. Lois Smith was Mama Threadgood. She was in East of Eden, Five Easy Pieces, Fatal Attractions, and literally a ton of stuff. Yeah. That, that woman was, has been in so many things. Um, Nick Searcy as Frank Bennett. I was, I kept going like, man, okay, I knew when he was in, because I know him from Justified, and he didn't play a bad guy in Justified, but I couldn't stand him for some reason in Justified. And then when I saw it, I'm like, oh yeah, because he was Frank, I saw him in Frank in this first. So I was like, ah, he's a UNC Chapel Hill alum, Christine. Hmm. And then also the guy who played the sheriff that I didn't write down, he was a VCU graduate. Both colleges represented. Anybody from Drexel in this film? They did not admit to being. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to say no. Um, Nick Searcy was also in Days of Thunder which we just recently did. The Prince of Tides, and as I mentioned, Justified. And then this woman, I couldn't... I'm like, I know her from somewhere. I know her from somewhere. The woman who was Evelyn's friend. friend With the short, short hair. Right. It wasn't until I was doing the particulars, I saw she was Miss... She played Missy in this. Her name is Constance Shulman. She was Yoga Jones in Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Yes! And she was the voice of Patty Mayonnaise. Yep. See, I didn't watch yes. Doug. I was yes. you watched Doug. Uh, it, it was You're too old. Yeah, it was uh 
I'm too old. Thanks. Yeah, she used Patty Mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't write that down, but in the Nerd Alerts, and it, like Doug, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, all those things debuted in 1991. Oh. And I was 11 and still living in Germany at the time. So. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I know her. You cannot, you cannot, mm-hmm. that voice, you can't undo that I voice. I not figure it out. And I couldn't I either. It, I was like, ah. Yeah. So those I kept thinking, was she, was she one of the designing women? Because she had that sass of designing women. Okay, well, we start out with a car being pulled out of uh, water. And I didn't know if it was a river or a lake. Then we see a railroad track and a train on that track through the credits. Then we go to a cafe. There's a man in a phone booth. We talked about what phone booths are last week. And we see Kathy Bates in her car eating a candy bar. and, and she's looking and everything is overgrown. We see that there was a cafe, but it, it's got all that kudzu growing all over it. And there are some buildings and all of them are just totally overgrown. Um, next, um, Kathy Bates is in a car and she and her husband are arguing about directions. Happens frequently. They are going to a nursing home to visit the husband's aunt. So they pull up to the nursing home. We find out that Kathy Bates is Evelyn. Isn't this our second Evelyn in two weeks? Yes. Last week was Evelyn from Play Misty for me. Uh Oh, right. So they are going into uh, the aunt's room and the aunt is throwing things at Kathy Bates. So she's thrown out of the room. So she goes into the... I said rec room, like the, um, the common area, common area. Good one. And there she meets Jessica Tandy, who is Ninny. And Ninny says, I'm just visiting here. Um, and so they start talking and she says, do you know whistle stop? And Kathy Bates said, yeah, we just passed through whistle stop. And, uh, Ninny says, I'm just here. Uh, to be my friend's roommate till she gets settled, then I'm going home. We find out that Ninny is from the Threadgood family. She married the brother, Cleo, and she starts talking about Iggy and her friend, Ruth, and they found the Whistle Stop Cafe. So Jessica Tandy, Ninny, is telling the story of Iggy and how she was arrested for murder of the owner of a truck. Well, yeah, but the way that she says it, it was classic. Just like, yeah, that's the way you hook someone. Because yeah. Yeah, Evelyn's being nice, and then you can tell that she's losing Evelyn, and she's like, well, yeah, well, that was the time that E.G. got arrested for murdering the man. And then you have everyone's attention. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, first she starts out with, well, they took out my gallbladder, and you're going, okay, now we're going to hear about all of her all of her surgeries and everything that went wrong with her. And then we're going to start hearing about all her dead friends. So uh, Evelyn is eating her candy bar because, you know, that's her, that's her drug of choice. And, and then she goes, yeah, well, and then Itchy was arrested for murder. 
And you go, what? That should, that's a good public service announcement for, like, to remember. When you get old, if you want to communicate with the youngins, lead with true crime. Yeah, any murders true. you know, any murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you'll then you'll have their full and undivided attention. Excuse me, what? Even Phones old wives' tales, you know, like old wives' tales will will hook somebody too. Yeah, but it's if Let's you can start with the murder. Yeah, yeah you're you right. Hook with the murder. Lead with the murder. Okay, so she says Iggy and her friend Ruth found the Whistle Stop Cafe. Already said that. Tells the story of Iggy. Okay, so Iggy had a brother named Buddy. And it was their sister's wedding day. And Iggy starts down the dress in a fancy, fancy dress with her scuffed knees and her her (laughs) brother. Well, Mac wants to comment, too. And her brother starts making fun of her because you can tell Iggy is not comfortable in this dressy dress, much as Aaron Bush was never comfortable in a dress. Much as Christine Maves was not comfortable. I have one thing to say that makes you never want to wear a dress again. It's when people then comment on you in the dress when you already don't want to be wearing the dress. Oh to this day, and like it's just like, don't say anything about it. I'm wearing the fucking dress because you want me to wear the fucking dress. I don't want you to tell me. I don't want to be told I look cute or pretty. Like that's not what I'm going for. Right. <laughs> I'm yes. going for get. Why do you get, think I wear boys' clothes every day? Because I don't want you to comment on my appearance like that. Stop it. Oh my god, you two are twins. <laughs> Adam married his sister. Come on. Uh- <laughs> Thank God he did it, but. Wow, now it all becomes clear. (laughs) This is what he grew up with. Now it all becomes clear. Like we've known Christine for for many years. It's just now becoming clear to you for... Yeah, yeah. Because there was a time in Germany where your father decided because of his uh, extraneous relatives who were putting ideas in his head that Aaron would wear a dress every Friday to school. Friday? No. Yeah, day. I think it was what? Friday. I think he said so one day a week. It was, was literally Friday. And then I was like, but Fridays? You're going to ruin my Fridays now? Because it had to be a day where I didn't have PE. So it had to be a day where I had music. And I had music on Wednesdays and Fridays. Oh, my gosh. That's why I can't stand Wednesdays now. It's all coming together. Because he was... <laughs> At first, it was Friday because I had music on Friday, but I'm like, no, you're not going to ruin Fridays for me. I was born on a Friday. Fridays are awesome. Friday was your black jeans day. Yeah. I would wear a turtleneck and black jeans. I had my Friday outfit. And then it was like, well, then it has to be on Wednesday. So then I had to, you can't do anything when you're on recess. These are prime recess years of my life. Eight years old, playing with did you have to wear said dress? I had to for a, a little. This is in Kansas. I did. Well, then he brought I it back. It. He, he brought it back up it back. in Germany. Yeah, and then you guys had to go take a walk, and you're the reason. Nothing wrong with this. It's just a joke, like Chris Rock says. But you kept me off the stripper pole because things could have gone very left after that for me. I had to take Poppy to the to the pub down the street and I had to get him 
some Weisswein and myself some Weisswein. And we sat and I said, if this is your decision, I am not going to support it. You will have to make sure that the dress is clean, pressed, <laughs> ready to go, that you get it on her every every week. And I am not a part of this because I'm letting her make her decisions about things that aren't really consequential so that when she has to make really consequential decisions, she'll know that we support her decisions. Ooh. And you did not wear a dress every week in Germany. I think that was the last time I wore a dress. And then, and then, but then I would have to wear a dress to church. But then, because a lot of times I didn't like wearing a dress because I didn't like wearing a dress, period. But also because I'm always cold and dresses are very cold. And then remember the sweater dress outfit I had? It was purple. And it was, and it, I'm like, all right, this is keeping me warm. I don't like it, but at least I'm warm. So I had a purple sweater dress. Well, so. Um, Iggy's brother starts calling Iggy a monkey in the dress. So, of and course. Not the, not the cool brother. The unnamed no, brother. Yeah. yeah. Probably Otis, who Ninny married. And so, of course, Iggy tackled him. And oh, let me find my notes now because I went off track. Um, so. Um, then she runs away. She goes up to the treehouse. Then Buddy goes up and talks to her, tells her the story about oysters, how, you know, they were like God decided to make one different, put a sand in it, and that's how you get a pearl. So then it got Iggy down, and then Iggy's in the wedding, and she's wearing like a little linen suit. Yeah. Like a, yeah, she looks like she's basically a. in the like a British uh, person in the Bahamas, you know, yes, ruling yes. over, ruling but over. But when the she is up in the treehouse, she is throwing down the dress. Mm-hmm. She's tro- throwing down the crinolines. She's throwing oh, down the lacy socks, and she's throwing down the shoes because she ain't gonna do it. Yep. But and and so Buddy, her older brother, is the one who can always get through to her. And they are very close. And she says, what if God made a mistake? And he said, God doesn't make mistakes. So she's in the wedding wearing her suit and tie. But she has a mirror in the church that she is catching the sun in and making it reflect into the into the pastor's eyes. You know, there's just so much that you can keep her down. At the reception on the lawn, Buddy and Iggy are talking and playing around, and we find out Buddy is in love with Ruth. Well, the three of them go walking along. What is that? It's like danger. That's what that is. Just danger. So it was a river, I believe. And this was like, um, it's not a dam, really, but it's an, it's a, the water goes over the edge. So they're walking along the edge of the river where the water goes down into a waterfall. Here yeah. we are. Yeah, yeah. Three so, of them are... And then Buddy and Ruth start kissing, but Ruth's hat flies off. So, of course, Buddy has to go get the hat, and he goes after it. It gets onto the railroad tracks. His shoe gets stuck in the railroad tracks. 
Okay. Which like, if you are born and raised there, I feel like he should have had better um, railroad track acuity or exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, he knows to to untie his shoe and get his foot out of the shoe, but there are so many laces on that shoe that goes up to up his shins, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get his. He gets his foot out just. As the train hits him. So, Iggy and Ruth both witness this. There is a, I kept yeah. waiting for Ruth to be like, <gasps> and like take Iggy and turn. No, they just like straight up just. And because of the direction, wasn't the direction that the train was coming? So didn't they have like a rather graphic? They like, saw everything. Like, like pop. They saw her. She saw her brother pop like a balloon. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's just that trauma hanging over them. This is when I started crying. And I would stop crying, but then then somebody would tell one of Buddy's stories and I'd have to cry again and then something else would happen. And I, so I pretty much cried for the rest of this movie. I remember seeing this. So we saw this movie, my mom and I saw this movie when we were on our spring break trip to London. That was our final year in Germany. We went to London to visit London. They were playing the movie. We went to see it, and my brother and dad went to the arcade. And I remember, like, yes, this scene got got me. I was like, oh. But when I watch this now, I was just, I was just, uh, no, mm-mm, you're not going. This is this was dangerous, buddy. I was blaming the victim. So I, in a turn of events. I was dry-eyed for this. Wow. I can't believe the brother died. Yeah. AG screaming didn't get you. I can't believe it. No, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of the I thought she did a good job, but you know how like sometimes there's people that actors that they do a good job but they just don't hit you. Like there's just something oh, about Oh, I loved her. I was I just I don't know. I feel like she's what I looked like in those years. Oh, really? Oh, well, glad I didn't know that. Then maybe I would have. I would have had more of a heart. Okay. Next scene is the funeral. Um, everyone thought that Itchy would die right along with him. So Big George is the only soul that she would let near him. And Itchy spent uh, near her. Um, I actually wrote him and went over it with her, and I still said him. And Itchy spent every night by the river. And Big George would go out and take her a blanket, make sure she was okay. That didn't make you cry? Big George didn't care? No! Let me, well, because it's in my power of cast. Okay. I'll save it then. Now, we have flipped in time. We're back at the nursing home. And, of course... Aunt Vita, or whatever her name was, threw uh, Kathy Bates out again. So she's back in the common area eating her candy bar because she feels bad. Um, And Nanny says, oh, you came back to see me. Well, the next scene is Evelyn in a women's group. So back in this time period, uh, really late 70s. Early 80s, there there would be women's groups because they women would be going, why are we so depressed? 
Why? I mean, we have the husband, we have the family, we have the house in the suburbs. Why? Yeah, well, we that that right there is literally the definition of well, there. That's why you're so depressed. Yeah. You got kids. You live in the suburbs, and you got a boring ass job, and you make gross meals every night. Right. And. And that's why you take Valium because you go to the doctor and the doctor goes, let me give you this little pill. It's going to make you feel better. Oh, which doesn't sound that bad. Only with, little helper. Yeah. Gets you through it. But also the, I mean, cause I don't have this written down in my power of caste, but it isn't like it's a, diver- like it's a certain class of women. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so very it's true. White women because other non-white women don't have time. Don't have the luxury to examine why they are depressed. Right, right. Like, they don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. They're out there trying to make Keep, enough money to put food on the table. They're just keeping the family together and the machine going. Right. Whereas these women are trying to find out how to put the spark back in your marriage. It's up to you to put romance back in your relationship. And Evelyn looks inspired. Christine, didn't we talk about the cellophane a couple of uh, episodes back? We did. Women were supposed to wrap themselves in cellophane, meet their husband at the door, uh, only in cellophane. Like, you can even get that stuff off. And I've dealt, this was, you sent me Hamantashian, and that was my first time dealing with cellophane. And let me tell you. I love the I love the Hamantashen, but I'm just what is I can't scissors. You have to take scissors, make a hole and cut. So um, we see Evelyn Kathy Bates wrapped in cellophane, and we see like three or four boxes of empty cellophane. No, it's not. She made a ball gown out of cellophane. Yeah, there's a big bow. Yeah, she didn't make. It's a whole like costume design with a, a yeah everything, and she put on makeup and she has on her high heels as high as they are, and pantyhose. What if I had and then, her, so her husband comes home and is is like, oh my god, Evelyn, what are you doing? What if I'd been the paper boy? And then we find out it was only Evelyn's daydream of what would happen if she did wrap herself in cellophane. So her friend, yoga girl from Orange is the New Black, says, what we need instead of this baloney is an assertiveness training class for Southern women. But that's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? At this point, I want to mention that at that class, the instructor of how to put a spark back in your marriage is Fanny Flagg, the Mm -hmm. author of the book. Oh, Mm -hmm. cameo. So we have um, Ninny and Evelyn talking about Iggy and Ruth. And we find out that Iggy's mother, because Ruth is, I mean, mm -mm, Iggy is distraught and she has just... Um, moved away from society and she is hanging out with gamblers, making money, playing poker. And so Iggy's mother's really worried about her. So she brings Ruth back for the summer, hoping that Ruth and Iggy will bond and Ruth will be a good influence on Iggy. So that's where I'm going to stop the retelling, but we are going to move on to our POC 
and Power of Cast. All right, so now it this is on Peacock. It's got commercials, but it's limited commercials. It's it's nice. It gives you a chance to go to the bathroom and stuff. So it's, it's also on, on Amazon Prime. Oh, and on Amazon Prime. If you want to pay three ninety nine. Yeah, and if, if no you're not take, yeah, if you're not taking notes, then that I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. So we're gonna. You, this is the warning. We're probably gonna spoil it. So there, you've had it. All right. Power of cast or POC count. So I have. I put less than ten. Strictly unscientific. We do have some major characters. We have Big George, Sipsy, a young child, um, Mrs. Otis's daughter, the nurse, and then there are background extras. Exactly. Well. Exactly. But. Yeah, except for Mrs. Otis's daughter and the nurse, everyone is um, who is black is in a subservient role. And, and then we have the, the black nurse in a nursing home who were the first people really affected by coronavirus. Yeah, because Frontline healthcare workers. Right. And um, not a lot of people enjoy working in nursing homes because you see a lot of death and you see a, a lot of end of life things that aren't great so those and are you're dealing with a lot of older people who like to say they in their day as i can imagine yeah you know yeah exactly in a different time also the ravages of age father time's undefeated guys it's gonna happen to us all i'm thinking that in the healthcare system the lowest rung on the ladder is people in hospice and I think below that is people in nursing homes the ones who are just hanging on to life but there's one shot of the nursing home with wheelchairs of people just sitting in the hallway and that's yeah. what happens at the end of life. I mean but this is before now they it, they were just basically locked in their rooms mm-hmm. because they, they couldn't, couldn't even, even be in the go hallway. out and they aren't, those are very low paying jobs, entry yes. level. Yes. So it's kind of in that whole, you know, you get like pay these people more. Yes. Just like, just like teachers. It, it's, it's funny when you think of like, okay, we're in a capitalist society, let capitalism decide what the market says and all that stuff. But for education and how we take care of our elderly people, we will let, people who get paid far below like it doesn't it doesn't compute it doesn't add up like let's fix that yes agreed so now the power of cast there's so much go well okay just off the bat to like when you said that the thing about big george yes in the if i'm watching it in the movie i will get taken up swept away and like oh george i'm sure when i was a little kid i did cry at that when i'm watching it now in 2021 i'm like wait a second did big george choose to be out here like is this what big george wants to do is to be out spending the night out in the river making sure that this little white girl doesn't get killed because she refuses because of her grief to sleep inside. So now I have to be the, the one to be out here. And her, you know, her mom isn't out there. It's big George. Don't you think big George would have rather be sleeping in his own bed? I do. I feel like big George saw that 
Iggy was different and he knows what it's like to be different and not accepted by everybody. And yeah, because but that's they, a, I think that's that's how we want to think it. Okay. Of it, but I don't think that like you can look at it as a in a different way of being like, yeah, I have to do this. Like that that was part of his job. It wasn't yeah, him. Okay. Like yeah, he would because he's a good person, mm-hmm. but it that's the power of caste of like you know, like with the black women who are taking care of and raising other people's kids. Like they're there raising the kid, they have kids of their own. Wouldn't they rather? Yeah, I think that part was yeah, it is power of caste as part of his job. But I do think they ended up had a special they had a relationship that mm-hmm. he may have started out, it was his job, like, God damn it, this girl is a gonna kill me right i want to be in my i don't want to do this shit this isn't my responsibility but then as she got older i think it turned into like okay they actually have a good relationship because she's the only one who she would allow in her orbit yeah she wouldn't she wouldn't have allowed her mother to come close and yes he wouldn't have been in her orbit had he not been hired to do so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly Okay, another one when we already did the spoiler alert, you know, it couldn't. This is a movie that is set place in Alabama in the 1930s, therefore, it is contractually obligated for the clan to make an appearance. Yeah, they do. When, uh, when I they, mean, I wasn't ready for it, <laughs> I was like, oh, I did, okay, here we go. Here when, we go. I'm not good with years. Yeah, I was just like, okay, like I knew we were going to be like suddenly racist. I see that they're all or, you know, they're trying to be in the time. They're like, oh, we're just going to have them in servant roles, whatever. But then, okay, here we go. <laughs> now we're in. The, now the KKK is here. Now the yep. clan is here. Ha ha. The clan. No one ever expects the clan. And I mean, this was they had gone past just a pillowcase on your head. They had gone into the full. Yeah, we had full blown outfits ordered. Yeah, yeah we're yes. yeah they yeah they had the patch on. Yeah, they did. The, which is a cross, but then if you look at the negative spaces, it's actually the clan hoods looking over a, a black person. That's in there. Um, okay, so then this is the power of cast. It was just me thinking. Um, wouldn't after George like escapes the clan wrath which miraculous yeah not unscathed not unscathed like trauma but i'm like are we sure that the family wouldn't have just hightailed it for detroit yeah no we're not gonna stay here just for this white Mm -hmm. family we're Mm -hmm. leaving we're going to the north you mm-hmm. think I murdered one of your own? It's like the cartoon. Feet don't fail me now. Yeah, and I got out of this one, but I'm not going to get out of the next one. Exactly. And, and they're going to come back. Iggy, I think, instead of being like, yeah, I'm going to stand trial with him, she would have helped him escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. his family escape in the middle of the night, rather than her being like, let's sit on trial together. Yeah. And that's a whole issue, too. Would they really have tried them together? Mm, no, there wouldn't have been no. a trial because it would have been Big George. Exactly. Like he said, very coerce- corrosively about, like, they hang people, and he doesn't say people, in Georgia. Just, mm-hmm. you know. But um, but anyways, but that is that the Great Migration. 
that's why the Great Migration happened right there. Right, right. Like, Survival. Years, this is what's going on. This is why people move north. And I'd be really surprised if Sipsy, her son in this predicament, didn't go, let's go. Yeah, especially what we learn later. Um, next, um, Iggy and Ruth, they got in trouble for accepting the money of black people who they couldn't serve inside the Whistle Stop Cafe. They had to be served from the back door down the hill in a separate area. And that was too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that was too yeah. much. Like, they, were, they weren't even allowed to eat inside the establishment. It was out the back door down the hill where the barbecue smoke is filling. It's, it's, when you look at it now in 2021, it's very social distance and you, it might not read to kids later. That's, That's the only way I want to get food from a restaurant now is if yeah. you bring it down the hill outside. Exactly. Poppy remembers going to some food establishment and they always had to go to the back door to get the carry out and his parents made it into something fun. Oh my gosh, not everybody gets to do this, but we get to go to the back door and they give us our food and we get to take it away. Yeah, why do you think when we go to Nicodonna's that it's you who goes to get the food at the takeout? <laughs> Does it go to the back door? I I feel a kind of way, but I go I go in there anyway. Yes, Aha. you do. Yes, you do. Just just to taint you, Ma. Just to taint you. <laughs> um Okay, so then all this is the power of cast, but then when I was reading about it, I was reading the differences between the movie and the book. So, in the book, Sipsy, Big George, Big George's wife, Onzel, they have three kids, Naughty Bird, Jasper, and Arvis. And I found an article by Judy Wilson called The Salt of Memory, Nostalgia, Class, and the Lesbian Friend... In oh, I read that same thing. Yeah, it was from Southern Changes. Oh, yeah, really? Yes, I have it pulled up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's really interesting because it it points out that there are differences in the book, like in the book that Fanny Flagg showed the differences in life between like the black citizens and the white citizens. And it helped the reader resist a historical nostalgia because it's that whole thing. Like the beginning of the, her paper is about how you look back in time and it's what make America great again and stuff. And that you look back in time and you you're looking at it. If you're white through kind of these like rose colored glasses and you tend to put away all of the negative aspects where as people of color, they, they look back on it and they don't have like those rosy outlook of things and so the film not because the film didn't include because it i mean it cut out all of that stuff like anytime that you see sipsy big george like they're always in subservient roles as mm -hmm. we mentioned and so um because the film did not include these disrepresentation like they had this whole world that was within there um it makes the movie vulnerable to nostalgic racism. Mm -hmm. That thing of like, man, look at it. Wasn't how great it is? But I mean, wow, the times. So the film characters are shown in subservient slash worker representations. The shantytown that's in the movie, 
how that was, uh, it was uh, multiracial. It was just poor people. And, you know, mm-hmm. during the depression and they're throwing the cans to in the book, the, the shanty town was called Troutville and it was across the railroad tracks. And that was where the black people lived and they were all dirt poor. And there's a reason why it's called the other side of the tracks. Yeah, exactly. And in the book, though, it also, it wasn't just all black people were dirt poor. There were, um, they would go to like Birmingham. So there was upper and middle class blacks as well as characters in the book. Um, So I thought that that was very interesting. I was like, oh, interesting how they cut that out. And I think that most, that that's, I understand why, because of the, they're making a movie in 1991, and so that obviously was not important to them. But which is which is going to get more traction in far as people's minds? Like, are more people familiar with the book, Fried Green Tomatoes? Right, or, or the, movie. With the movie. Right, correct. And so because the movie has that nostalgic racism in it, that's what gets wired into people's heads of the same thing that's why that's why we do this podcast to just kind of point out like we can love this movie but you also need to be aware of what's being fed to you right um so then also then she goes into how um like the lesbianism in the book is really toned down and she said almost non-existent in the movie yeah. Is yeah. it possible that by transferring these lesbian cues into traditionally noble value of, quote, friendship, a viewer can leave the theater in denial of the lesbianism in the mm-hmm. film? The problem with Ruth and Iggy is not that they are invisible to a heterosexist lens, but rather skillfully manipulated by mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's also very interesting as right. far as like, the cast and stuff. Because well, and then, like, wasn't it in that article too where the author was saying like, if anything, like the 1980s should be the place to find lesbians. Like it was post Stonewall. It was like it wasn't like we were, you know, I don't know. It was just weird that they tried to just like hide it as friendship. And right. Then I thought that it was interesting because in watching it in. T- 2001 like when ruth sends that thing like that bible verse from the from the book of ruth she's basically saying like i'm with you like those are vows like it's interesting in a way it's almost as if this movie that was made in 1991 was made in the 50s when they had the after the haze code and so they're using like the the haze codes of kind of like subtly putting it in. Mm-hmm. But like when I was eleven, that thing went right right over my head. Boom! Or watching it twenty twenty one, I'm like, how could you not see that they're not a couple? She uses the Bible. They're married in some oh. places. Like that's a vow right there. And when Ruth testifies and she says, "I love her," it's like. Through uh through our lens, it's supposed to be yeah friendship love, but she was saying no I I love her she is my lover yeah and then all of the there's a funny SNL sketch about that the lesbian period drama and there's like all these it, but and it it ties into this movie because there's all the looks and the glances and 
who fights like that with food? You right. Know? I did read that the the director felt like that scene where they had the food fight was enough to, if you choose to look at it, yeah, they have a, a relationship, or yeah, it was just a fun little interlude. Yeah, and it's crazy if you read because I'm not much of one for comments but in comment sections of this like just doing the research how many people are their minds are blown they're like wait this isn't a platonic relationship yeah, exactly. yeah well i can see how it could go either way when you're in the movie like they really did try to make it but i was watching i was like oh okay and then i listened to, to this podcast that i want to listen to more i recommend it's called queer movie night and they watch this movie and the um girl on it's like a guy and a girl and the girl was like she's like I used to watch I I chose this movie because I used to watch it with my mom and like we watched it all the time and she was like I don't think my mom listens to this podcast and I don't think my mom realizes and I think she would be shocked and then she was like when I watched like turning watching it for the first time a long time she was like it's a gay movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She lets you know that when she wears the suit with the tie to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, but that... I don't know. I would have wanted to do that, too. Yeah. But there, but the thing with, like, the, the bees, and she's like, you're my little beekeeper. But my big... Like, my radar went off with the... When she sent her little telegram with, and quoted the Bible, and she was like, I will go where you go. Mm-hmm. Your family is my family. I'm like... Well, there you have it. That's- I don't know. Mine was that food fight. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, you know, it was a sensual food. food fight. But that's why remember the the watermelon woman. What that movie came out in the nineties, but it didn't come out in ninety one. It was later in the nineties. And that was the whole reason that she made the watermelon movie. Was because they're right. I mean, right. And that and this is like white women, you know. Right. Right. So it's just it would have been interesting if there had not been like the Hayes code put in the place would this movie have been different mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. very interesting and then my final thing of cast was um, about in real life how Kathy Bates as the actress found it so hard to get work when she was younger because casting directors would just tell her to her face that she was not pretty enough to be cast as younger women. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the roles that younger actresses get played and and who's making the movie mm-hmm. and why those are the characters that are being done. And so mm-hmm. it isn't until... Um, so in the 70s, she did tons of stage work just on stage. By the 80s, she had become one of the finest stage actresses around. And she had a reputation and she built her chops. She got her Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. And in 1990, she got the, her role in Misery. And mm-hmm. that's when she took off. But she was also, she had also aged out of the young ingenue exactly. kind of roles. And she was able to still be able to survive and maintain a career, which a lot of people don't have the. Like she had to put in so much hard work and to, you know, be making the money to be able to support herself doing these doing Broadway, doing off Broadway, all these shows. And it just made me think of how 
you know, with this year and how Broadway has been closed mm-hmm. down in the stage that there's probably somebody who is like a casting mm-hmm. level talent that we're in, we, we don't get to witness their talent because Broadway shut down and they have to move in and do something else because they can't afford, like they have to be able to afford to keep, to live. Right, right. Many, many, many Kathy Bates who don't fit the, oh, what was I? I was watching um, Extinction of the Brutes. Oh, I'm going to watch that. Oh, my God. You have to watch it. The guy that did I Am Not Your Negro, the James Baldwin documentary. Yeah. And there was a cutout of what the perfect woman looked like from the side. And women would go and stand by it, you know, like try to get fitted so that, you know, your nose, your forehead was perfect, your nose, your lips, your chin, you know, your, your bust, your, yeah, women tried to fit in that. And that if you could fit there, then you were the perfect woman. Yeah. But the thing is, is that like, I didn't grow up with all of that because I Like, I just excluded myself from that because I didn't see anything like me. So I I do believe that representation does matter, but it is, it's like life. It isn't a zero sum. It's not digital, just ones and zeros. It's going to be interesting because now that we have representation and different people, like there are going to be kids out there who before they didn't see somebody that looked like them. So they could go on and be like, well, yeah, that's not who I am. I can get to be, but now that there's more of like representing, it's going to be interesting because now it's like, oh, you thought that you were immune to this? No, this is what the perfect woman looks like. You know, there's like you yeah. have already see it. There's a whole TikTok trend going around this week though with, I don't know, it's set to this music, heartwarming music, I guess, but it's like, uh, this whole, all this stuff is coming up about women in media or I don't know, whatever women that you would see in the, in the nineties. Um, and even like early two thousands. And it's just like, this is what we grew up seeing and it's damaging and they were all a certain size and all white and they all look the same. But then like with TikTok and all these other people and Instagram and like everyone having access to the internet, it's like, this is what girls are growing up seeing today and like people of all sizes. And then there's a whole other one going around about this is what, like when I was growing up as a trans, someone who who was transgendered, like this is the only, like literally all we could see. And now it's like all these people are able to put their stuff out there and this is what we're seeing. And it may not be in TV and movies quite yet. Yeah. Getting there, I guess, more so. But with everyone having access to the internet and being able to make their own content, it's like getting out there more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's still, you know, you still have the makeup industry is booming. It's, it's still, yeah, it's still like all I of- mean, and, and what are we talking about? Like words, like no matter what okay we yeah. can't use this word now so we use another word but now that word's going to be bad exactly and... exactly mm-hmm. it's yeah it's it's there's still... going to be always something cuz we're terrible people and well, look at the look at the two lesbians we have in this movie and i i hesitate to say lesbians because i don't know that ruth 
was a lesbian, but she fell in love with a woman. Um, you know, I think of Niecy Nash. Niecy Nash fell in love with a woman. She had always been with men before. Does that make her a lesbian? Well, or? well it's just because sexuality is on a spectrum. Exactly. Like, and, is- yeah, your, your significant other does not dictate what your title is. So, but they're both very good looking, very... Um, white and thin and yeah Yeah, exactly like like people that you enjoy looking at so you already feel a kinship to them uh, and you like them so you're gonna overlook that or you know it's just easier to do that that it's well done Christine yeah (laughs) how many episodes did it take us um that's funny yeah but it's just it's it's the human because people are slaves to their, that inner voice that's inside of them. They think they are their inner voice and they love to hear judgment. And hopefully with all of these TikToks and everybody, it can get more out there. Like that voice that you hear in your head, that is not who you are. You can meditate. There are ways to be like, like shut up. Like everybody has it. Uh, when it comes I'm going to bring up Drag Race again. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, go, go ahead. ahead. We are watching... RuPaul's Drag Race. If you're not watching, this is like one of the best seasons ever. Um, and there's this, we're down to the final four, and there's this one um, drag queen named Candy Muse, and she's from the Bronx, and and like the final four, they talk about like, they always do like an interview with RuPaul and Michelle Visage, and they talk to them about like how they were brought up, and I don't know, like what brought them here today. And he's like, you know, growing up, I was always made fun of for being fat and for being gay and for being loud or whatever. And he's like, all the things that I've been, that I was bullied for and made fun of growing up have been celebrated while I'm here. And oh, I didn't cry during this movie, but doing <laughs> <Wow>. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, hopefully it's just a, an awakening of, and it's a, it's, it isn't a flick of a switch. It's a practice. Like, you have to practice it. Nobody starts off just with it. It's just this practice. And then you do get better at it of being like, no, like, what the fuck are you talking? Shut up and get in the back. Like, mm. you know, they, and you just kind of, like, start to laugh it off and stuff. But you have to start somewhere, and it's with awareness. Uh, the only other power of cast that I have is the white homeless transients who are in and out uh, who um Iggy goes to live with I guess after oh, yeah, the, mm-hmm. like down by the river mm-hmm. yeah night. like she's like she like never goes home again after the funeral mm-hmm. um kind of seemed like an awesome life they were playing cards they like just had their Drinking. little community and the other white people did not like that in the town exactly. and the church people and they looked way down upon them so yeah yeah her community would have been what i remember as hobos because i lived close to a railroad track and if you went you know like kind of east on the railroad track there would be a hobo community there and that was like oh my god these are the worst of the worst they happen to be people who lost what they had during the depression and and weren't able to recover it and they were living the best they could well, but that's that was... yeah, and that's just all people. Mm-hmm. But those, but and those some people, people choose. 
Yeah, some people choose that. But then you get into the, like, that's the power of cast because then you have those people and then there's some people, not all of them, within that community who are then like, yeah, but at least I'm not black. And they oh, yeah. to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that is a, a big cast, you know? Because I have to say, when I was growing up in the 50s, close to a railroad track, I never put color with hobos. I always just assumed that they were white people down on their luck. I never thought that there were black people with the hobo community. Not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what well, I grew up with. But when you're when you grow up, you just know what you know, so you know what you see. And yeah, where you grew up, and you, it's not <laughs> like you would have so, seen a diverse group of people, right? You know, and where I grew up was considered the other side of the railroad tracks, which was okay. Moving on to nerd alerts. All right, nerd alerts. I did 1991 because this is when it came out. Um, so in 1991, the first anti stalking law goes into effect into California. Uh-huh. 1991. Wow, is that because of the sister of the girl on Mork and Mindy? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I think it had a lot to do with that in California. Yeah. The first Gulf War pops off because remember, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And my classroom was a trailer. And I used, remember in the morning before I'd let you guys go into my classroom, I would take a a flashlight and look all around my trailer to make sure there wasn't anything under it. Yeah. And we also had the guards and there was a whole like controversy around the school because they had, they had their M16 guns and then they're like, oh no, but they don't have any live ammunition. And everybody's like, why don't they have any live ammunition? What the hell? And I have to say the guards love that duty because they always got the cupcake, the birthday treats. Yeah, because I was in school when you could just bring in home-baked goods. Oh, and there yeah. Was- there was no worry about gluten or peanuts or whatever. And, and everybody brought in an extra for the guard at the front door. And, and, and all of the kids when we were on recess, we would see them, but we, but nobody would like. Like, maybe, like, the one person who was, like, the cool kid, like, the cool bad kid would, like, say hi to him, but we would never. But And it's, it's hilarious because all of our parents were in the military. So it, that's... Maybe that was also why it wasn't. Yeah, but Poppy never, you never saw Poppy with an M16. No, I never. You saw never saw him with a firearm. No, never with a firearm or anything. Like never even like the helmet or anything. Yeah. Unless so. you saw him on AFN. <laughs> yeah. Armed Forces Network. Oh, that's funny. Uh, Germany formula, formally regains complete independence. 1991. It was after France, the UK, the US, and the USSR relinquished their remaining rights. But the wall came down in 89, as your plaque says on your little piece of the wall. Yeah, but it was still like, okay, we've been down this road before, Germany. Let's just let's just see how this transition goes with your unification. Um the apartheid ends in South Africa. The U.S. Supreme Court Judge Thurgood Marshall, he announces his retirement, so he retires. 
And then, of course, you know, just uh, get Clarence Thomas nominated and confirmed as his replacement. Of course. It's a one-to-one match. What could go wrong? Do you remember Clarence Thomas lived in Kingstown? Yes. Every time I go past that, I still think, like, Clarence Thomas lived there? Yeah. Yeah. And his uh, Coca-Cola classic. Thank you for that visual. Anita Hill. Um, the Soviet We Union- are Team Anita. Yes. On that situation. <laughs> the Soviet Union dissolves, and I put what could go wrong. <laughs> um, the first website went into existence 1991. Info.cern.ch is created. Wow. 1991. <laughs> And Freddie Mercury dies. Oh, Freddie. I remember that because my teacher, Mrs. Wiley, would do a, uh, like, she would do a current events kind of thing. And I remember she said Freddie Mercury, and I didn't know who that was. But I remember that this little girl, she, like, raised, like, she knew exactly who Freddie Mercury was and told us all about it. And then I learned about Freddie Mercury and Queen, and I was like, why didn't no one tell me about this? But I was 11, you know? That's how things are. But I think you won the award for current events. I did, but I didn't know for who Freddie Mercury right, was. Right, right. But I would do your hair every morning in front of the Today Show. And the so you were pretty group. Yeah, you were pretty bye good bye. with current events. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how, true. The top five movies worldwide in 1991. Number five, Silence of the Lambs. Number four... Hmm. Hook, number three, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, number two, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, (laughs) and number one, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. That was the number one movie? Really? Yeah. Now, Ma, do you remember, because Christine, we, I feel like when it got, because we, my dad was stationed in Germany for three years, and when it got to the third year, I kind of sensed with you guys, my parents, that it was a kind of a, oh shit, we got to do a lot of traveling to do. Like we're about to leave Europe and this is yeah. So we went to Garmisch, which is in the su- south of Germany. And I remember that we saw, that's where we saw Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Prince of Thieves. Terminator 2. Because when you were in Germany at that time, you wouldn't, like these movies would come out and you would have to wait like a year before yeah. you got to see them. And we found this movie theater, and it was playing in English. And that was the first time I had been in stadium seating. Stadium seating blew our minds. Minds were blown. Like, yes, we were the family. That's why we're doing a movie podcast. That's right. We went to London, and we saw Fried Green Tomatoes. We went to Garmisch, and we saw Robin Hood and T2. We didn't go to the Eagle's Nest. To see, you know, Hitler's last outpost. No, we went to the movies to see Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That year in the Oscars, there was an, and this is 1991, so a lot of the other letters hadn't been added yet, but the LGBT protested derogatory and unflattering portrayals of homosexuals in The Silence of the Lambs, Mm -hmm. JFK, and the upcoming Basic Instinct. Oh, that was like in that Oscars, the same, you know, it was, that was a thing, which it, it does kind of make sense. And then when you look at this movie, you're just like, they, okay. Like they, they kind of knew the times that they were in, mm-hmm. even though 
it's it's that thing of like, no, this is how it is. It's like, yeah, but this is where we're living. Yeah. Um, the nominees for best picture for that year were The Prince of Tides, JFK, Bugsy, Beauty and the Beast, and then the winner. And I believe that this movie swept all the major categories. The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I think it did. So those are my nerd alerts. Christine, nerd alerts? I have one. I did a nerd alert on Tomboys. Oh. The word. This should be fascinating. And I read an article on The Atlantic, so if it's wrong, it's their fault. Um... You know, so, uh, yeah, what's her name? Iggy. She was portrayed as being a tomboy. That's what they called her. That's what I I was called when I was a child. Like, me too. As was Erin. But I'm just me. Okay. Yeah. It's a girl. Well, this, you know, a girl not wearing dresses, wearing like not girls clothes, doesn't mind getting dirty, plays sports nowadays, Mm -hmm. gets Mm -hmm. dirty. Um, It first appeared in the mid 16th century. And it was actually a name for male children who were rude and boisterous. (laughs) And then by the 1590s, it went a shift and towards its more current feminine usage of a wild romping girl who acts like a spirited boy. Um, yeah, I didn't, that's very, that's a lot of years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but by the late 19th and early 20th centuries, tomboy was everywhere. Um, dovetailing with both women's suffrage and the first wave feminism, it says. Uh, but it was confined to a specific demographic, middle and upper class white women. Really? And so then this goes on to describe that tomboyism became pervasive in the United States in the mid to late 1800s. Um, there's an author named Michelle Ann Abate, Abate who wrote a book called Tomboys, a Literary and Cultural History. And she explains that the tomboy was a widespread literary trope in this period. Um, And while today's take, we, you know, now we talk about tomboys being progressive, you're bucking gender norms, encouraging gender exploration, and so forth, which I don't think was the case when I was being called a tomboy. I think everyone was just kind of pissed off that you didn't want to wear dresses. And maybe that is how it is now. And you were really into sports. This was written in 2017, so. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't always about that. The Victorian tomboy was not about that at all. So during the 1840s and 50s, when the abolition of slavery began in the UK, social elites became concerned about the physical health of white women due to restrictive clothing and lack of exercise. Amid fears that white people will become a minority as more immigrants arrived and abolition neared, white women were encouraged to lead more active outdoorsy lifestyles. So the tomboy is perfect for that. And it would, in theory, prepare young white women for the physical and psychological demands of marriage and motherhood and further ensure that the white race would not die out. What? Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whoever heard wow. that? Not me. It always That's goes back to that. Crazy. It always goes back to that. Um, yeah. And then there was like, I, I don't know, it was in pop culture 
it's crazy weird to think about pop culture in 1859, but there was a novel called The Hidden Hand, um, where this girl who's white, like, is, dresses up as a boy, chops off all of her hair to escape a life of dire poverty, but she, like, encounters all of these Black people in her journeys and it still treats them like shit. And it just, like, demonstrates once again that it's, you know, tomboyism was a lifestyle that would benefit white women at the continued expense of Black people. Um, but... Yeah, so, you know, now it's like, oh, now I guess maybe in 2021, if your kid's a tomboy, you're like, oh, look at you. You're not confining or conforming to gender roles, whatever. But in the beginning, it really was something that, well, a word used to describe boys, but then when it referred to women was once again, just to continue the white race. Yes. yes. Yeah, because I don't, I don't remember ever hearing of a because but i don't know if that's because you didn't see it like black people depicted in society in that way where there could be tomboys or if it was just like just in my mind i don't remember ever seeing Mm -hmm. any black people tomboys it was just like yeah you're it wasn't ever described as that yeah right right and then i don't know like now it's the, the article goes on to talk about like how the concept has changed over time and now being a tomboy can be a significant identity for queer girls um along with cowgirls i think but i don't know it did like goes on to talk about sexual orientation and um like claiming being a tomboy or whatever but also i think that's almost a little bit problematic because Mm -hmm. like who's to say what sexual orientation you are claiming or right yeah or you know maybe you do know or maybe you don't like i don't know you don't refer to anybody as a tomboy after they're like 12 years old like true that's true yeah but yeah i thought that was interesting that is interesting wow that was a good rabbit hole all comes down to that unbelievable i know if i had only known i would be like you racist motherfucker I can't then I'm like, I- stop calling me a fucking tomboy then. I'm, I'm not claiming that. <laughs> Excuse me? To, but- <laughs> I wonder not- why the name Tom. Why Tom, boy? But I'm not going into it. Probably just from my armchair thing, I'm going, I have no, no basis of this. I'm going to link it to Uncle Tom's cabin and say it's There you go. Shit. I don't know. I'm going to say it's some rambunctious loud boy named Tom because that's what they usually were referring to as rambunctious boys. That's true. So ADHD boys Mm -hmm. (laughs) or some racist American bullshit. That's my corner. (laughs) Yeah, but that's originated in the UK. Some racist UK bullshit. Yep. Well, there was plenty of that. Yep. So we are to, uh, and and this has nothing to do with anything except that when I was at book club today, the new UNC basketball coach Mm -hmm. went to high school with Mm -hmm. Donis McMillan. Oh. She knew him in high school. She said he was the nicest guy. If you were like pairing up to do stuff in a class, he was always the one who would go and say, oh, you don't have a partner. Want to be my partner? Okay, so she would she would vouch for his sense of of judgment that he he. She knows. said he 
He was an he amazing is, guy. Yeah. He's, okay. You're okay. He no. didn't mean it that way. He just meant, I'm proud of my wife and family. Yeah, he, he made just, him. Let's hope that he made I, a mistake. That he just made it. Uh, he just he's, made new, a, he's not usually the one doing the interviews. Yeah. Exactly. Like, used to be a behind the scenes. And he's proud of his <laughs> white wife. Yeah. Why are you, why are you making my spot hot? Why, oh. <laughs> I, I don't see a problem with any of it. So moving on. <laughs> Too repeatable. What? He didn't name her, Ma. He just. (sighs) Moving on to reheatables, negative reheatables. I am going to say just telling people to get hormones is not the best thing to deal with um, menopause. There are problems with just throwing hormones at the situation. Look through all of your all of your bag of tricks and do hormones if you need, but be sure to check with your doctor first. Okay, so maybe that's like thirty years, like you know, twenty nine years later. It's like maybe we don't throw hormones. Let's not throw hormones. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the KKK and the lawyer who was smoking a cigarette while doing his courtness oh he was smoking a cigarette as he was addressing the jury and whoever was in the box i didn't even notice that okay yes that's a good one i wrote the vagina meetings oh yeah that did those did happen yeah, but like you didn't go to your own room to be like, okay, let's look at our vaginas in peace. I mean, more I, power to them, I guess. But I do not want to look at my vagina in uh, front of all my friends in a circle. Like a yeah, circle, a circle I do vagina have viewing. I do have a quotable about that. Maps that aren't in your phone. Yeah, like having to. <laughs> Yeah, having, having to use maps that was so hard. Having it to was out map quest. Oh my gosh! Before the you it out, yeah. If you made a wrong turn, you had to figure out where to go. And it was always my fault. I also wrote dresses. <laughs> nice man. She had some dresses, did she not? Those were '80s dresses. I had a couple. Yeah. The big collar? Yeah. The big white collar with the lace. Iggy, okay, I listened to another podcast called Adapt or Perish, and they, I think, usually do, I don't know if they only, I only listen to this, and so I don't know if they only do movies based on books, but Maybe. in the episode I listened to, yeah, yeah, they talked about the book, and then they talked about the movie. I only listened to enough to hear about the book. So I listened, I heard a lot about the book, but the fact that Iggy and Ninny were the same character in the movie, but like they weren't really like they, no. they tried to make it be the same character at the end, but it wasn't consistent. Cause they talked about Correct. Ninny, like being married to a man, like having, Correct. well, but it's, it gets uncomfortable because they said that Ninny married Cleo who was her brother. So if she was Iggy, she would have married her own brother. And then remember, Nini's son, Albert, was born with a defect that was visible upon his birth. And they said he wouldn't last. And if you have a child with your sibling, what 
usually kind of they say ends up happening mm. so i thought that they just like forgot that they said all that stuff but maybe they just went there with incest because i have a whole other thing about this that i don't know if it goes in my positive or negative reheatable so i'm gonna save mm-hmm. it to my last and that's my negative that would be I'm negative. sure there are so many more. I just wasn't writing. I was watching I movie on the move, and so mm-hmm. I didn't have my pen and paper. All right. So I have for negative reheatables. I love the song What Becomes of the Broken Hearted, but this cover by Paul Young, I am not a fan of at all. I feel like he butchered one of the great American songs. So that's Take that, there. Paul Young. Mm-hmm. Um... I, as well as Teeny, have a problem with the movie implying that Ninny was itchy. So you mean to tell me that an 80-year-old woman put her hand in a beehive and got a honeycomb out and then put it on? Like, when did she do that? For the end of the movie? When it's okay, roots? okay, okay. This is my tasty nugget, but I'm going to do it now. Because in the book, Ninny is itchy. In no, the movie, no, it's in not. The, no, in, in the, the book, book Nenny's not. Separate people. In the book, Nenny marries Iggy's brother. Yeah. In the movie, the jack, they, the jackass that called her a monkey. I'm assuming. Yeah, in the the book, it's that they're clearly two different people. Right. In the movie, because. Like, I mentioned how the movie was written by two women, but both of those women, they did drafts. They got credited with it. But in fact, John Avnet, the director, was the one who actually wrote a lot of what we ended up seeing on the screen. And Fanny Flagg gave her okay, her sign of approval on it. And in, in order to make it like a more satisfying movie, he put that ending in to make it like, oh, snap, are they really right, the same Right, person? right, But in the book, they are completely two different right. people. They are supposed to be different people. Because yeah. um, Ninny tells Evelyn, I had a crush on Buddy, too. Now, you don't have a crush on your brother. You might be totally devoted to your brother, but you don't have a crush on him. And you don't marry... Another brother. brother. And you don't have a kid with the brother. And then at the end when there was the honeycomb and it was the letter to Ruth, like from your bee charmer and stuff in the book, the it is revealed that Iggy and her brother that she didn't marry, they have a uh like a like a farmer's market kind of place in Florida. Like they're still alive. Of course it's Florida. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying in the movie, you're asking, like, there's a whole, like, that's crazy incest. You believe Jessica Tandy put her arm in the bees nest. Obviously, going back into when she went into the bees, she's not allergic to bees. Because you, like, she would have gotten stung at least once all the times that she. Yeah, exactly. Um, Somebody says no bigger than a midget. I mean, I heard the word midget. Not okay. Domestic violence is just bad. Yeah, domestic violence. The need to get married. The fact that she was like, I already, I got to marry him. I already promised I would. And he's rich and prominent. So I guess I got to do it. He's who I'm supposed to marry. And then when he kicks her down the stairs. 
Um, we already said the KKK. Oh, although this could go in my good reheatables. It's one of those either or. But when the KKK did show up, I thought it was funny how the townspeople were coming out to see the KKK people. And if I, I think it would have been funny if like one of the white townspeople, like one of the white men had been like, hey, guys, look at me. I'm here. I'm not there. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the sheet. So I want it to be known. But, you know, that's just my kind of humor. Not what would have really happened in the world. Um, the all-white man jury. And no. then I put, I'm supposed to believe that all of these jurors, like none of these jurors who are all-white men who were in the clan with Frank. Oh, yeah. Oh, they absolutely were. Oh, yeah. But, then you notice that the judge was the one who, like, law be damned, he took it upon himself. He didn't put it to the jury. So obviously, I guess I'm saying that the judge probably wasn't in the clan with Frank. Because the judge was, wasn't. Just the jury. Yeah, he yeah. was the one who was like, wait, you don't have a body here. And the preacher basically gave his sworn testimony. So what are we even doing here? Um, Another negative reheatable trusting anything that a preacher says <laughs> true true um i okay how Iggy kept sneaking up on a domestic violence survivor like he she kept sneaking <laughs> up on ruth and was like, what are you what she are did. you doing ruth has ptsd surviving domestic violence but Ruth was a southern woman and it took her a long time to deliver her lines so it would take a long time to react (laughs) that's true All right, and then how about you live in this town there's a railroad track how about you teach your kids not to play on the railroad tracks? Yeah. Yeah. True. Also, like, yeah, the man I was in love with was murdered by getting run over trains. Stay the fuck away from the railroad tracks. Yes. I think that yes. Been, like, that would have been scared to death of trains. But no, he had, he had to go down there and see for himself. And then finally, this is one of mine that straddles the, the fence. I remember when I first saw this movie when I was 11, I loved the Kathy Bates Tawanda scene when she rams into the car. Yeah. But now watching it, I'm kind of like, like, <laughs> Fuck I was, yeah, I'm kind of like, like, I, I get what she's going for, but like, now she would be labeled a crazy person. And, and the VW she keeps hitting is going to hit the car that's in front of that. So it's not just the VW she's fucking up, but the car in front of that that she's messing up. Yeah, that was just one of those, like, yeah. Although I did like it. I I enjoyed her. Her feeling herself. She's like, oh, I'm a woman. Tawanda. Okay, good reheatables. Shoulder pads. Did you see this shoulder pad? That's a good reheatable for you? Are you kidding me? No, it, it really made you look slimmer. Those shoulder pads. Made- I hate to break it to you, but it didn't. Well, some people, that's a thing of physio. Like, do you, do you have shoulders or don't you have shoulders? See, I don't. You do. You have your grandmommy's shoulders, truth be told. 
Yeah, and Teeny has shoulders as well. So when I would put shoulders on, I felt like a middle linebacker. I already feel like a linebacker without that. Exactly. You don't need them. But then, little round me, yeah. She would put shoulder. She sewed Velcro into her t-shirts. Because so I had shoulder, Velcro pa- shoulder pads. Velcro shoulder pads. And when I didn't, I knew how to put them in my bra strap. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mom was big on shoulder. Like you would, you would find shoulder pads all over the house. You would, and a popped collar. Yeah, shoulder pads with the pop. Come on, Teeny. Yeah, I was big. rocking the eighties. Yeah. Yep, sounds like it. We have pictures. Don't tell her nothing. That's right. Ooh, she that was your like- only. You went with one positive reheatable of shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem I- is. I wrote Iggy. Loved her. I loved Iggy. This is my positive. Especially Um, when she cut her hair. mm -hmm. Fried green tomatoes. Just (gasps) love fried green tomatoes. Especially when you get a nice aioli with them. Oh, so good. I don't know if I've had them. Oh, they're delicious. And I don't even really like tomatoes. You don't have to like tomatoes. No, you don't. And they are so not on the plant paradox because you got the seeds in the skin but grammy now a lot of people most people now if you get them in a restaurant fry them in cornmeal grammy just used flour and her cast iron skillet that burned everything oh my god they were so good she would make fried green tomatoes yeah at the end of every tomato season you get to the point where the frost is going to get them. So you take the last green tomatoes and uh. then you, and they put her in the hospital once because she had an ulcer and yeah, but, but you know what? She'd eat them again and put herself <laughs> back in the hospital. That's how good they were. Oh my God. They were amazing. There was no aioli. There was just. Yeah. Flour. I only had them oh, fried green tomatoes at fancy God. restaurants, but. We had them in some place in January 2020 when I came up. And For Hamilton. It was Jersey City. Yeah, might have been at, um, oh, it was probably at that place that we would go to. Uh-huh. Matthew's. With we that had brunch and we sat in the window. So good. Mm. Tree houses. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean a sturdy treehouse. Aaron and Adam never had a sturdy. Remember tree the treehouse that we built, and then the windstorm came, and you and Mrs. Shipley had to go out and get all of the wood and timber, and we made a treehouse out of wood and felt and timber. Yeah, so brainiac over here. And the other three people who lived in that housing building were not happy about it. Mm. I did like Ruth's dresses. She had some very nice dresses. They're all very like she could get dirty and like she was doing some shit to get dirty in them. Yep. They reminded me they're just some like house dresses, I guess you would call them. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like the, the collars on them, like a ditzy floral print. Um, a dress that I always wish that I could wear, but I don't. It looks effortless on her. A shirt dress, not on me. Yeah, shirt dress. Yeah, because she could. Then the belt, and there were no bulges anywhere. 
Well, I don't know how tall she is, but she always seems tall to me. Yeah. Mary Tall Louise Parker. Lithe, L-I-T-H-E. Yeah, lanky. Yeah. And she's probably Definitely. like 5'2 or something. Definitely <laughs> not my seems, body type. Yeah, she seems just no. taller than that. Oh. Uh, I loved what the filmmakers did with Buddy Jr. when they make you believe he died yes. by getting hit by a train the same and way I Buddy died. again. And then when they show the tombstone, they're at a funeral and it's like Buddy Jr. and then it scrolls down to his arm. It's a funeral for his arm. Yeah. I loved that. The relief. Because I'm mm-hmm. going, no, I do not remember Buddy Jr. dying as well. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that I did remember. I did remember that Buddy, somebody lost their arm, and Emma was like, oh, that's right, Buddy Jr. And then finally, I didn't know where this fit in in the beginning, but I read an, I looked at an article um, on Ranker, but I think it fits into my positive for Heatable. The fact that this was marketed as a feel-good drama, but it is not. These are some bullet-pointed things that happen. Yes, it's a And your sad... feel-good drama. Yes. Iggy watches her brother get hit by a train. Mm-hmm. Kathy Bates has to get her husband's attention by wrapping herself in cellophane in her dreams. Mm-hmm. Evelyn suffers from an eating disorder and is constantly bullied. Mm-hmm. Ruth finds out her husband is in the KKK after she's pregnant with his child. Mm-hmm. Iggy, George, and Sipsy decide to barbecue Frank's body because... The Jim Crow era justice system would never find Sipsy innocent, even though it was self-defense. Well, yep. that's KKK barbecue. I'm always down for KKK well, barbecue. Well, yeah. I mean, I loved that they did that. I mean, cannibalism. The fact that there was cannibalism. Despite lacking individual agency, the experiences of African-American characters in the movie highlight the toxic nature of systemic racism. Yes. Iggy's clear attraction to Ruth goes unspoken because of the intolerant setting. Mm-hmm. And Ruth's death of cancer. Oh yeah, Jeez. which was so good that she didn't even die. I mean, she died from cancer, but had to have assisted suicide because it was so bad. Yes, and yeah. this is all in your feel-good drama. Well, which this I think is, is kind of hilarious. I think that this movie, I, it's a feel-good drama. But then there's also I don't know if it's a feel-good drama, but you know how like people love the Shawshank Redemption. I kind of feel like it's in line with that. And so I thought it was hilarious when Thomas Newman was like, oh, yeah, he also did Shawshank Redemption. Because there's a lot of messed up stuff in the Shawshank yeah. Redemption as I'm well. I'm going to be honest. I thought this movie was about kids at camp. Oh, wow. That's what I thought I was sitting down to watch. That's so lick, because last I week- thought I was sitting down to watch something like The Little Rascals. <laughs> I had never seen this film. You said you had last week. I was like, I thought I had, and I clearly hadn't. I just heard of the book, I think. <laughs> oh, man. I was born in 1991. I know. Oh, I've seen this. I, that's why I was like, oh, well, maybe she caught it on TV or something. No, nope, never seen it. Thought I had. Thought it was about kids getting yeah, dirty at camp and eating fried green tomatoes at their camp experience. And I was like, this is a weird pick. Well, I mean, that's. Not something I would have expected. You were like, the brother gets run over by a train, and I'm like... In the first 10 minutes. I don't think... I think It was I think 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning when I was watching... 8.30 on a Saturday morning when I was watching this. 
Yeah, she's like the clans in it. I was like, she does. She did not see this movie before. Never seen it before. Thought I had. Okay. Hadn't. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, this is one of my good reheatables. Is because even last week I had done the math and I'm like, I don't know if you would have. Oh, okay, all right, but I don't. So, teeny seeing this is a great reheatable for me. I think. Um, Oh, I already like Nini pretty much invented true crime podcasting with just how she dropped in, like, oh, here's yeah. my murder story. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Hometown murder. Here's my hometown murder. Yeah. yeah. And then she would have to come back every week for the next installment of yep. it. Like, yep. Shout out to Exactly Right Podcasting Network. <laughs> Breaking that down. Evelyn's full cellophane gown, bald gown dress, uh, the Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, I didn't know that the Bible had black up in it because when she sent the, the thing basically saying like Ruth, you know, the book of Ruth, come get me. And then they show up and she's got, she has like some, was that one of her brothers or something? And then the brother sees Frank and she's like, I don't think you want to do that. And he's like, cause I got black up and they brought big George and he had the knife. And I'm just like, guys, you guys are just, that's a white man. And he's in the clan. What, what's, guys, you're basically just, put the noose around it, Big George's neck right now. Expendable. Oh my gosh. Um, The symbolism, this wasn't, I read this on the internet. Somebody else pointed it out to me, but about how um, fried, it's fried green tomatoes. And you make fried green tomatoes from the green tomatoes, which were too stubborn to ripen. And so they were the ones that usually get cast out and taken right. out. Like, oh, you can't eat those. You can't eat those. But this delicacy, it takes the ones that you can't eat and makes it into a deliciousness. It is delicious. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, and, and then those were my good reheatables. So we are two quotables. I have, if you all will slip off your panties and straddle your mirrors... <laughs> Well, now, honey, I can't help you with that one. Mm. Forget what that was. Face it, girls, I'm older and I have more insurance. (laughs) That was a good one. I like that. How many of those hormones you taking, honey? (laughs) Yeah. If I was going to kill you, I'd use my hands. Mm. Oh, who said that? Do you remember? Evelyn. What to her husband? Oh, oh, because she cooked him like a vegan meal or something, or like a vegetarian or a oh. low a low carb meal or something. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what are you trying yeah. to do? Kill me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have. I'm too old to be young, and I'm too young to be old. Yes, yes. I know that feeling. That yeah. was that was like a decade ago for me. Also, can I? I listened on the one podcast, Adept or Parish adapt or perish they read the back of the book and it talks about how it's terrible like it's a terrible synopsis or blurb and it talks about how evelyn is in the middle-aged slump not like it's just like like every woman gets in that in the middle-aged slump Oh, too young wow. to be old and too old to be young. A man wrote that, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, middle-aged slump. Um, 
I don't know what's worse, church or jail. Yeah, I have that as well. And Tawanda! Tawanda! I have... This is one of my mom notes. I have... Look at my stovetop. <laughs> oh, yes! yes. Mm. It was because when, she, when it broke, and then she was like, look at my stovetop. Look at my stovetop. Exactly. I almost wrote that down because that is the basis of my stuffing every Christmas. Yeah, and I get rave reviews for my it's stuffing. It's delicious. Stovetop is delicious. I love stovetop. Yeah. I love it. Even without the added bacon and added onions and added celery. Yes. Um, Cicely Tyson. I mean, <gasps> when she gives the line, like, here's the thing. I, we know this in Gone with the Bushes lore that I am a wet head. I cry at everything. But like Ruth's death, even though I'm watching it, like this is so manipulative. This is such bullshit. I'm still sobbing at it. And then when Cicely Tyson's sipsy gives the line a lady always knows when to leave when I'm just to like, oh, oh my God. I was literally that trying to scene. control my sobs so Poppy didn't make fun of me across the room because I am lit I am <gasps> not able to catch my breath I'm sobbing so hard just just Mary Louise Parker it's why I really liked weeds but I always had a chip on my shoulder because of this scene and what she did to me because yeah. she, with her, her crusty lips and her just like, uh, like she's really good at dying in this movie. Okay, like, but wait, what's the next movie she's in? The Client. Oh, Boys on the Side? Boys on the Side, where she also apparently dies of cancer. And oh. they said that she did the same exact, like she dies the same exact okay, way. Right? Like she was like, all right, I'm an expert. <laughs> I've got this. My poop. I got this. Probably. Yeah, um, I have, uh, and then I have uh, the secrets in the sauce because it turns mm. out clansmen make awesome barbecue. Those were some big ribs. That's they a lot of ribs. ribs. That's a huge rib. Also, just that Big George wasn't like there was no gag reflex of him. He was just like, "Yeah, we're gonna boil," which she's like, "We're gonna boil the whole," and, and he's just. Th- what they do with the skull? Because that's uh, they buried it. Because yeah, ah. there's thighs there and there's head. calves and there's femurs, yeah, femurs and tibulas and fibulas and hands and shit. But yeah, but they got rid of the bones and they made it, the secrets in the sauce, and you're just like, man, I was, you know what? I, this movie did make me question. I was. I got to the point where I, I was kind of like, well, damn, I mean, the sheriff liked it a lot. Like, what's going on here? Okay, well, in the, apparently in maritime law, I learned this in Adapter Parish. If you're at sea, it's acceptable to eat someone. Not if you kill them, but, but if they die of natural causes. Yes. I and that. it sparked a debate of, yeah, would well, you? Well, it's like the the whole thing of. I know I couldn't because it's a mental thing. Like I can't even eat fish. It's disgusting. Well, I mean, I, I, I we're going to cook it. We're not eating it raw. That's yeah, I don't want to eat cooked fish. There's that thing alive. That movie. 
where yes and, and like the donner party and stuff it's yeah. like hey we got we got meats on us oh they're dead get the fire going it's like chicken yeah i i am up the thing that like you put some meat on a flame don't mm, I'm very particular about my meat. If okay. I get one weird bite, I am out. Well, that's the thing. I don't want. You I mean, two I just, are exactly I spent, the same I spent on that. Two hours deboning a, a whole rotisserie yeah. chicken to make sure I didn't have any tendons in my meats and stuff. But you know, I don't. If you you don't need. If you put it the meats and it's tendon gristle free on an open flame. And you cook it up all nicely with a really good sauce. I don't even need a good sauce. I'll just I'll take you cooked it. Let me taste it. Mm. Yeah. So good to know. Has everyone done their quotables? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we are to LVP. Yes. My LVP, although the very end of the movie kind of shifted this, but. The underuse of Cicely Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. Just, he was just, underused. You got Jordan sitting on the bench. What are you, you doing? You got Jordan, number 23, sitting on the bench <laughs> for three, four, seven eighths of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Come and on. It, and it, they, they kind of blunt it. If you notice in the beginning of the movie, they say special appearance by Cicely. Yeah, yeah. I, saw that. I know, but still. Oh my gosh, she's specially appearing in a lot of these movies in back the background in a subservient role, looking fantastic at 66. Yeah, they, I mean, they put those uh, glaucoma, you know, uh, eye things that, in. That was the only way they could age her. Yeah. It's true. Okay, others, LVPs. Well, I have a runner-up. She was originally my LVP, and then I changed it to the runner-up, and that was Fanny Flagg. Oh, interesting. Because, and I couldn't really find any of the quotes, but from what I listened to, when they interviewed her, like, she was quoted, allegedly, of saying that, She, you know, oh, well, relationships with friends were just different back then. And, like, they were just friends. And she, like, even though it was kind of, like, explicit, more explicit in the book, she would then negate that they, that Iggy and Ruth were actually in a lesbian relationship or in a relationship. Yeah. That's what I heard on this podcast. Her Wikipedia page is basically saying like she lived with these two different women actresses and stuff. Well, that's just what I heard. So that was why it was my runner up. Um, And then I also read that like she also said something about my motivation writing this book was to take us back to a time where like this is the relationship. You know, it was kind of like more nostalgia, but I couldn't really find more about that. Mm. So I changed her to be my runner-up just because I don't have much foundation. I didn't do my due diligence mm-hmm. and my research. So then my overall LVP was nostalgic racism in film. And mm. to Fanny Flagg's credit, she did do a lot more, like apparently in the book, which I now want to read, there's a lot more about a whole story about Sipsy's family. And there is a point of view from the black characters and there is even like classism within like the black community in the book but 
in the movie, it was just like, I think like people saw, you know, you who saw the movie in the time were like, they don't remember it as being that. They remember mm-hmm. it as being like mm-hmm. this fun little romantic or like, what is it? A dr- feel good drama. And then when you watch it now, it's like impossible not to see these things. Mm-hmm. And like, where like this whole idea of like, oh, this is what, oh, the South is such, it's a nice little quaint little town that disappeared when the train went away and everything was great and white people and black people lived together and it was, it was so great. They got along. There was no, you know, we didn't judge each other here or anything. And so I, that was my negative. Mm-hmm. Nostalgic I, racism was my LVP. Yeah. I understand that the novel took in a whole lot more and you, this was already two hours and 17 minutes. Right. So how much can you add? But yeah. But it completely like, oh, it's just like it completely <laughs> took away all of the black story. Yes, it did. But then still kept the characters there in like roles of servants and. Right. So it's like right. they, still, they were still there, but they weren't giving speaking, like they didn't have speaking parts and exact point of view. And exactly. I thought I would have much rather heard the story from Big George's point of view, or like if, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of other ways you could have done it rather than just. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. It, it just shows into the, the perspective. It's like the thing, like when we watched Glory of how, well, this is the story because this is the movie that could be get made. And yeah, so exactly. it's from at this point time, of view, with, and this yeah. is what we're saying. But it was 1991, like, yeah, but exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's Glory was 19, wasn't it 1991? It was like yeah, 1990s, that it was 1991. We're stuck like in the 90s right now. Time. Yeah, yeah. And the nostalgic racism. I mean, that's how the whole podcast started. It's gone with the wind, right? Because on yes, one hand, you look at Gone with the Wind, and you're like, wow, isn't this fantastic? This is fabulous. And then everybody's so like, happy. Like, yeah, but not me. <laughs> like, ugh, I get it. So my negative, my LVP, it kind of does tie into like exactly what Teeny was saying. And I just went with Mr. Couch with Evelyn's husband because... From his point of view, if you look at it from his point of view, he comes home from work. She's got three ice cold Budweiser's handing to him. He's got his dinner is on the table. He just takes it. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes and something green on that on that plate. It doesn't even matter. It's it's like from her point of view, he's like, geez, he's such a doofus. Oh, my gosh. But if you look at it from his point of view. Life. life is good why do we want to change this and yeah. that's kind of where we are and have always been yeah yeah so saran wrap ain't gonna fix that I have my mom even a few i don't remember i guess it was a few it was when I, we were in jersey city so a few years ago and sometimes you know when i go to the gym after that's my priority i have to go to the gym every day and that's my therapy and so sometimes I get home from working things late and my mom was like does Adam not care that you're going to the gym and like I was like he better not fucking care like (laughs) I don't know like yeah but like 
it's like even a thing now where sometimes like I feel guilty that he has to cook dinner some night. No, so I'm like that's such fucking no. bullshit that I yes. should feel guilty that he has to cook dinner some nights. No. no, my brother if, wants you to be happy. If you being happy is well, like, I know that, but it's just like what yeah. you like. You see shit like this, yeah. and that's what you grow up watching, and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be the one to cook dinner every no, night. No, I'm like, no, no. But yeah. look, but that's but then it goes into the whole system of what has made you do that, and the thing, and that system of what has made you do that is also the system of what has made your husband a second-rate citizen. So anytime you feel guilty about that, it's like, well, then I'm also buying into the fact that he is less than a, a white American citizen and deserves exactly. Less. So exactly. it's all the same. Yeah. No, don't ever feel that way. Because he... Well, yeah, I know. But, like, the, you do. It's just like that. Yeah. There because it's in there of, like, oh, like, this is, I'm a wife. This is my job. I'm, a, like, he's working. I'm working. I have to... This is what I have to do. But, no. <laughs> On no. Grimomi's birthday, uh, Stacy brought the food from Della J's. And at, uh, Manziel had made the cake and he's setting the table and grandmommy goes, why is, why is Manziel doing all the work? And I said, I'm looking around seeing his family here. So <laughs> he can do the work. I mean, come on. Well, my thing, when I, when I work until six, I go to the gym at six 30, I get out at six, at seven 30. So you get home around eight and I like to cook. So like, I don't, I like to cook. I, I will do that. And, but I, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Dinner's so late. But am I also, on the other hand, I'm like, well, if he cared about eating earlier. Yeah. He would have fixed it. it. Yeah. 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 And he's not, he, it's not like he can't. Oh, no, he doesn't give a shit. It's right. just, you know. Yeah, but it's that it's that voice that like when we were saying in the beginning, it's that voice that gets that it's a practice of that thought's gonna come in your head and recognizing, ha, yeah, but that's bullshit, and then wiping it out. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's that practice, and it it's hard work and it's practice. It's but you know you didn't go into CrossFit and weight training and. Oh, 200 pounds. Let me deep squat that right off the bat that you worked your way up to it. And that's, it's the same thing with like your mental response and getting used to all of that. Like you have to start somewhere and then you just keep on the practice and you have setbacks and then you just keep, you just keep at it. That's right. That is right. Motherfucker. (laughs) Okay. So now we are to... Uh, I believe the MVP. MVP. Okay, I'll go with mine. I really didn't have an, an an MVP, but then when I read the article by Judy Wilson, it kind of made me think like maybe the MVP was the book. And I say that because I did put yeah. a question mark on it because in Judy Wilson as she puts forth in her paper she does mention all of these secondary characters and how Fanny Flagg did have th- these rich lives mm-hmm. and and you know that ended up getting cut out in the book so it kind of made me like teeny be like well, what's this book about yeah i think i'm going to read that i'm in the middle of a 800 page book that i'm not loving i think i'm going to take a break it's okay to let a book go too i mean yeah. it's 
That, I know. That's but really hard for me, but it's really hard for me. I'm 300 pages in. Yeah. That's but the whole if book's it, worth in. If it's not grabbing you, it's okay to let it go and find something that does grab. So I think I'm going to take a break and read Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. I really like Fanny Flagg's writing. I've read a couple others of hers. I can't tell you what they are right now, but I, I did enjoy her writing. My MVP was Tawanda. I know it's problematic, but she found her voice. She finally found her own voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My MVP was Mary Louise Parker and Mary Stuart Masterson. Mary yeah. was the Marys. The Marys. And their acting, I thought was incredible. Yeah. Um, even though um, when I was listening to Queer Movie Night, they were pointing out like, they did the best with the direction that they could. And they made me, but like, I knew that they were in a relationship and that they were in love mm-hmm. from the second, like, I mean, that wasn't Mary Louise Parker. That wasn't them. But from the second they were like the young girls and they had Iggy hold Ruth's hand and they're walking there. But then like the food fight when the director mm-hmm. was like, that was, that was their sex scene. Like we, between the two of them was the food fight. I, it was just also believable to me. And then when the scene when when Ruth died, oh. uh, I just thought they did such an amazing job with doing. You know. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I had. Uh, I mean, all the act. I I wrote the acting actually. Like Cicely Tyson was really good. Yes, I had Mary Louise Parker as a runner-up for her. Um, being able to transform to that Southern woman, you know, slow with her responses. Um, yeah, I, I agree. All the acting. They really had that draw. Yeah. I, I wondered how the, the Southern accent was, were, were there some people who were like, I thought it was really good. Okay. Yeah, and she's from North Carolina. Yeah, I could, the, yeah. The reason we were doing this that. was because military family. She exactly. Was, oh yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we are to recasting. Yes, I yes, I have one cast. I have zero of. casts. Okay. okay, I have Buddy, Iggy, Ruth, Evelyn, and Ninny. Okay, go ahead. Go. My buddy is Ashton Sanders from Moonlight. Yes, he's really good. Because you need someone with that personality that grabs you right away. He was also in um, Judas and the Black Messiah. He was the real skinny guy that gets shot by the police. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Okay, so my Iggy is Zazie Betts. Because you gotta have I mean, she's got to have a lot of personality, mm-hmm. uh, but not overt, not, not, because this was 1991, you didn't want to turn everybody off. So Ruth is Kiersey Clemens. You have to look her up. It's I. She's the daughter of, oh, I forget the guy, right? Because she, her mom's a director. Or maybe, no, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Okay, I don't, I'll look her I, up. I don't, 
Uh, okay, so Evelyn is Octavia Spencer. Ma, get out of my brain. And Ninny is Isabel Sanford. Who's Isabel Sanford? Uh, moving on up to the. She was uh, in yeah, Sanford she... and Son. She... Well, who's the actress? No, it was um, it was uh, George. George was Jefferson. George Jefferson's wife. Oh, Wheezy? Wheezy, yeah. Oh, okay, nice. And yours? All right, well, my Evelyn, right off the bat, I was like Octavia Spencer. That was the first one that I even cast. Yeah. It was just Evelyn is Octavia Spencer. My ninny is Dionne Warwick. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, that would be yeah. awesome. Sign me up. Yeah. You can probably see her eyebrows a little bit more. <laughs> um, my Ruth is Kiki Palmer. Yeah. And my Iggy is Zoe Kravitz. Okay. Oh, I, I that's can a totally good one. see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when they do the remake of the remake in mm. 2059, oh. okay. I have cast as Ninny Jessica Chastain. <laughs> Liver spots in them. Mm -hmm. In 2059, that's Jessica Chastain's role. Market done. Done and done. You heard it here first. Mm -hmm. Tasty nuggets. Okay. You want uh -huh. me to go? I yes. didn't do any. All right. I did. I have well, a few. I didn't get that far. I have a few, but I'm going to lead with my most tastiest, which it was announced in October 2020. NBC announced a TV series with Norman Lear producing, starring Reba McIntyre as an adaptation of Fried Green Tomatoes. Really? I do love Reba. Yeah, it's coming back. And I don't know if it's the adaptation of this or if it's like the adaptation of... I think it's that an adaptation of this, of like fried green tomatoes. And I like that it's a TV series. I like that it's Norman Lear because then we can add in all the stuff that they had to to cut mm, out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and I I as well. I'm I'm a fan of of Reva McIntyre. I I I don't know of any like that was what I also wanted to know. Is Reva McIntyre? In the sort of like, I put her in with the Dolly Parton of like, oh yeah, she's cool. Or like, does anybody know? I think Reba's always... cool. I think Reba's cool. I think she's cool too. She's Kelly Clarkson's ex mother in law. So yeah, she's got to be kind of cool. I, I sort of, I hope so. So I like in Norman Lear, still going in his 90s um, with his I... probably with his bucket hat. Right, and now that it, we're in 2021, I don't think there's going to be any sort of, oh, are they just friends? And I think we'll also get more, like, the black characters won't the be background. so background, because there's kinda, time for that. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I hope that they, I hope, like, hey, bring it to Peacock. So that's interesting. Um, the cafe is loosely based on uh, the Irondale Cafe, which is uh -huh. in Irondale, Alabama, then there's also the Whistle Stop Cafe, which was where they actually shot it in Georgia that opened. Correct. So 
that that is also a place and like a tourist attraction and stuff like that. Because they've turned it into a real cafe. Exactly. Um, Jessica Tandy was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Carol Flagg and Carol Sabisky, I mean, Fanny Flagg and Carol Sabisky were nominated um, for Best Adapted Screenplay. Carol Sabisky actually was, um, this was a posthumous nomination yes. for her because she passed away. Um, it won the Glad Media Award for Outstanding Film Wide Release because Glad. Oh. This is as good as we've got. Yeah. 1991. This is as good this as we got. Agreed. Yeah. On the set, because it's Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker, the director gave them nicknames. Um, Stu and Lou were their nicknames. Stu and Lou. Uh, Stu did her own bee stunt work. The, the yes, stunt she did. Called out yeah. the day before to do it, and it it didn't occur to me. I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, I guess that isn't CGI. She really did, yeah, covered in bees, and did such an amazing job." Yes, yeah, just, just yep, nailed it. Um, the movie had an eleven million dollar budget, and it ended up making one hundred nineteen point four million worldwide. So. Who says women can't? <laughs> then that's 1991, and it's still, you know, like it, it, it's that whole thing of like, where's the well? The women don't make money, so it's like the thing with the women's basketball NCAA basketball. Well, women yeah. don't make money. The women's national team soccer. Well, women don't make money. Right. Well, now we're making money. Well, no, like you yeah. know, it's just a goalpost movie. Um, let's see, and then oh. Buddy's shoe gets caught between a guardrail and the rail. And the guardrails are usually on bridges and switches. So at that point on the track, the only reason for the guardrail to be there was for Buddy's shoe to get caught in it. Right, because there was, it was over, it was over the, because... It wasn't on the the switch of the rail. Yeah, and there was a single rail. Right. But... Um, as an 11 year old, lesson loudly learned. There you go. I do not mess around anywhere near train tracks. Wait, how old did you guys think Iggy was then? uh, Nine. Okay, because one of the things I listened to said like 12. I thought she was like eight. Around there, she definitely presented as eight, nine, ten, maybe eleven. Yeah, no. eleven at the most. Yeah. Okay, I have Uma Thurman auditioned for Itchy. Oh, that would have been weird. It's it's weird, but it's also I I kind of would have. I, I think Mary Stuart Masterson is, is perfectly like, but it is one of those, oh, but what would what that could have been? Yeah. yeah, like that just, just, it's an interesting what if. Joanne Woodward was <gasps> their first choice for Ninny. <gasps> what? Why did What they- could have been? I just got goosebumps. Is it, what was it? Did Paul say no? I mean, why I- did she. I don't know. Wow, Joanne Woodward. Now, this person was considered for Evelyn. Susan Sarandon. 
Mm. Oh, Susan's mm. She can do I liked, anything. I liked Kathy Bates. Uh, but I think Kathy yeah. Bates was perfection in I this too. The thing about Susan Sarandon is I don't know if I buy her staying with her husband, who's a doofus. It's like Susan Sarandon, you never looked in a mirror. But that's the problem with like most Hollywood movies when when it's and that's the reason why Kathy Bates wasn't in a lot of movies because people are going for the appeal and the look. Not saying that Susan Sarandon couldn't have done it, but I'm looking at it going like, my God, like Susan Sarandon, you're drop dead gorgeous. Right. And I'm not saying Kathy Bates isn't. It's just in but the But Kathy Bates feeling. is bringing their, those decades of yes. rejection. Oh. I understand why she's eating a Snickers in the common area of a nursing home. Like if we were doing this in not doing our like reversing the color roles of it, if you're doing it now, Kathy Bates would be Melissa McCarthy, I feel. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Of just like, there's just this realness to it. I mean, Susan Sarandon would have acted her ass off. She would have done great. But there's something ingrained in somebody who's gone through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Susan Sarandon has, to me, she has. Like, if you were just dividing the planes, she has the idgy vibe of, like, that rebellious... Yeah. Like, you can't tell. And maybe that's just, like, how she's been cast and portrayed and stuff of, like, the, you can't tell me. And, like, just having that spark, which I'm is I'm driving different. off the cliff. Yeah, which is different from the, like, I, this, I'm just getting along. I'm suppressing everything. I'm, I am not worthy. Yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, listeners, that was Fried Green Tomatoes. A lot to talk about. I enjoyed it, but I will be reading the book now. Yeah, I want to read the book, too. If you get it in physical form, bring it to the beach. Yes. Not saying that you have to, but just if it that's how it works out. I feel like it's got to be like a used bookstore around here. Oh, agreed. Oh, yeah. Agreed. That should be, I mean, in in Brooklyn, there should be plenty of fried green tomatoes. I'm sure it's on on somebody's stoop right now, waiting to be picked up by the trash man. Put up the fried green tomatoes, like back. I can put a wanted ad on on next door. Wanted copy of fried green tomatoes. There you go. There you go. Man, just get a. Okay, so next week it's me. It's Hi, TD. this is this is my favorite part of it because who knows what TD's gonna do? I know. I brought it to my book club today, saying she brings these weird things that we've never even Aaron okay. hasn't heard of. How I, I mean. well, okay, so we're not gonna leave. We're not gonna be going very far this week in the timeline. Okay. We're going to be staying in 1991. 1991. Mm-hmm. I, we've been in the 90s for a little bit now, and I it's can't okay. leave it. Yeah, it's okay. Now, when I watched this movie, it made me have a certain type of feel. Like, it just had this feel of movies made in that time. Okay. Now, you're lucky because I almost went with Kathy Bates. We almost went to 1997 and did Titanic. Oh. Wow, you were going to go with Titanic as long as it is. 
I've I watched that movie three times in the theaters. Yeah. I was obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. I can quote every single line. I love Titanic. Isn't it the anniversary? Like, we're gonna like do that, it this year. That was the best of Leo. I mean, like I in this month, like that. isn't it the exact anniversary? Should I be doing the Titanic? We're not gonna go. We're not gonna. Don't let her bully you. I'm not letting oh you. Well, I'm just pointing. I just want to point out that we're in April. We are in it April. Happened in 1901, or was it not? It was after 1901. April 15th, 1912. 12, because Grammy had 12. been born. 12. I knew okay. that Grammy was. So it'll be 99 years. I always think. So maybe we need to was, save it to next year. I always think that Grammy was born in 1909. <laughs> That's why I. Was 11. 11. Okay. Oh, that was okay. always I'll a thing. I'll probably with... be picking that this year. Okay. That's okay. Fine. We're staying in 1991. Here we are in 1991. Okay. 1991. Let's see who the actors are. Gabrielle Anwar. Ring a bell? Yes. This is very 1991. Michael Schofling. Michael Schofling. Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson, I know. Okay. Dylan Cussman and Kathleen York. Yeah. Um, Noir was supposed to be, she was going to be the next big thing. Oh, like she how wasn't. she turns out she wasn't. Like how was Reggie Mole was also going to be like the next great. You know how they, there's always these. Yeah. Next mm-hmm. The director is Steve Miner. Well, it's an hour and 28 minutes. Outstanding. We love that. With a G rating. Wait, is this available? Are we able to watch this somewhere? I believe we can watch it on Prime Video. Okay. I did look that part up. And it's got a G rating. It's got a G G rating. When I was 11, we weren't watching G movies in the Bush household. I turned 10 years old. And there's was, some things you don't share. Just like here, you're watching this. We can, I've done my time. You're in double digits now. You're living in a foreign country. Yeah. You need to come of age. Yeah. Okay, Christine. Would you like to hear the synopsis? Yes. Yes. Thrilled by her performance, she sees it a fair. Sonora, Gabrielle Anwar, tries to land a spot as a daredevil who rides horses off of high dives. With the help of Al Carver, Michael Schofling, whose father runs the show, Sonora works towards her goal. An injury to star writer Marie paves her way, and Sonora finds herself on the diving platform. Her life looks complete now that she and Al are in love, but Sonora is about to be thrust into a very trying chapter in her life. She takes horses off a diving board? We are doing Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. And I don't know why I ever came across this film. I think I bought it in, like, the discount section of Blockbuster or Hollywood Video where you could buy the used movies. And I was obsessed. Obsessed. I watched this thing alone in my room every other day. I loved this movie. And I haven't seen it in, like, 20 years, maybe. (laughs) This oh, I can't awesome. wait. But as soon as I saw Fried Green Tomatoes, I was like, oh, I have to watch Wild Hearts. Can't be broken again. I love it. I love it. I never yeah. would. I've I not heard. Because of um, uh, because of my favorite murder, I was like, is Teeny going to pick Paris as Bernie? What is- I thought about, uh, that's on my list. Uh-huh. Me too. So I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Horse diving. 
totally wow. brand new film for me. There's a tragedy. I love it. Next I love week. it. Wild, wild hearts can't be broken. Yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. Bye. Bye. Bye.